The mm -hmm. bigger deals are easier to put together. You're dealing a lot of times with more professional people. You're also dealing with a better buyer at the end mm -hmm. that maybe has done real estate before and it's not fighting every step of the way. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. I know, this is take two, because we recorded a little bit and it sounded like cricket or a, a robot. <sighs> this this soundboard here has got too many different options on it, and I think Heather must have bumped one of the buttons and it was it was a robot sound. At least we caught it, you know? Yeah, Actually, yeah. There, there we have be, done it before. We should try we... to splice in just a, a second of it, because it was pretty embarrassing. Oh, it was terrible. Anyway, so what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about how to scale your land flipping business. And there's a lot of ways to do that. I'm interested to see what type you did, because you, what did you always think it was? Well, I always used to think, like, you could scale your business just by sending out more letters. So you were, like, advertise, marketing. Marketing, yeah. That's it. That's it. Okay. That's, and... That is part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one uh, kind of key aspect of things. It's kind of just the tip of the iceberg of everything else that needs to happen in order to scale your business. Right. I think it's interesting, too, because aside from the actual business thing, you could also scale it by maximizing, like really slowing down and taking a look at each property you get and maximizing that one. Yeah. But it's just it's a time. There's time and best use of your time, best use of your money. There's a lot of stuff yeah, that goes into I it. And I, I'm going to cover every single one of oh, them. Wow. I've got a whole big checklist okay. here that I prepared for you. Okay, uh, And we're going to go through each and every one of them. But before we do, though, mm -hmm. hang on to the end, because we actually have four questions that we cherry pick from our community, our land conquest, land mm -hmm. flipping community. And uh, we do that at the end of every episode. We kind of cherry pick four of our favorites and we answer those questions in depth. So those are from people in our community and uh, pretty cool to do that. Where can they find the community? Oh, just simply go to landconquest.com. Some orange buttons on there and just click one of those and you get through to the to the, uh, the community, which also houses our Land Conquest training program, which is at no cost to all of our community members. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a premium product. It could sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. But we made this strategic decision not to charge because there's other ways that we're going to make money. And we feel like if we teach whoever wants to the best way possible and like give them everything, success kind of overflows to everybody. So mm -hmm. I've actually been struggling with that myself because I think that people don't take it seriously because I'm giving it away. You want to start charging for it? I don't know that I want to start charging for it, but I, I kind of uh, struggle with that sometimes. I think people don't take it seriously because mm -hmm. it's free. Well, a lot of times people charge for things that they would be happy to give away at no cost if there was another way to monetize, and they do it specifically for that because there's a psychological thing that if someone gives you something for free, you're not going to value it as much. So if I gave you like a diamond necklace, right, it has it's $10,000, maybe not you, you might not care about a diamond necklace, but theoretically, right, I give it to you versus you pay for it, which one are you going to be more careful? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, definitely. And there's some people that, that are more evolved and they don't care about that. They kind of can get it 
on top of their natural reaction and see it for what it is. But um, but a lot of people, that's true. So maybe we should start charging for it. I don't know. I just, this thought crept in my mind and I just saw some stuff from, from people talking about, you know, if you give stuff away for free like mm-hmm. that, they're not going to take it seriously. And I don't know. Well, I, so I'm, I'm struggling with that, but I'm not saying I'm going to start charging for it or anything, but I just think about that. I'm well, I like, like money, so maybe I will. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We've got other, like we talked about, uh, we've got other ways that we monetize our business and everything. Uh, so we don't need to make money from that. But but what I do, uh, what I would like to see is people taking it seriously. And I, I know a lot of people start and really don't don't get into it because it's free. Because so. it'll always be there. Well, mm-hmm. I guess this is your warning that if you're interested, you should do it right away, just in case I can get my greedy hands on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I think there's enough ways that we monetize um, that works for everybody. It helps the person taking it and us. So I'm not too concerned about it, but I do think just for that one reason, that's something to consider. Mm-hmm. So jump on it if you're interested. Speaking of jumping on things, you want to, should we get right into this? Yeah, let's get into it, Heather. I've broken this down into a number of different categories. I'm not saying which is more important than the other. They kind of all work together, mm-hmm. sort of a big puzzle. Puzzle is not complete unless you have all the pieces to it. Well, I think no. it's important to take into account what your natural, like, where do you shine? What do you enjoy doing? Maybe well, that's where you start as you get Yeah, the marketing the and the leads, like. that, that is the, that's the most important okay. thing for me. Okay. But, but for other people, it might be another one of these things on the list. Right. So maybe think about it like, what's the most, where do you see the biggest impact or what do you not like doing or what are you good at? Don't send that away necessarily. Or mm-hmm. I don't know, just kind of, kind of take into account who you are and what you do. So where do you want to start though? Then? Well, let's start at the top of the list, Heather. Yeah. First of all, is team. So that's one of the most team, team Reese. Yeah. Is that what you meant? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I call our family team Reese. So anyhow, I'm sure you have, <laughs> you might have a team name for your family. Yeah. If you have too. team Reese's ears, that's a little weird unless your last name is also Reese, but um, yeah. Uh, you mean our, and our business side of things, huh? not the family side, the business side. Well, I call our family side, the te- team Reese. No, no. But I'm saying right now you're talking about the business. Oh side. yeah. Yeah. The business, right. your, your business team. So yeah. Your team would be anyone that's kind of helping you in your business. So this could be assistants. These could be, you know, full-blown employees that are, you know, full-time and everything. Could be part-time people. Could be vendors. All these people are sort of on your team Mm -hmm. to help your business move forward. So the thing about having a team is you're generally paying your team unless you've got some family members to kind of work for free uh, for you. But uh, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) But so I know that that's a stumbling block for a lot of people as they are kind of in this business. They're always conscious about spending more money and having more expenses, uh, meaning that they in their minds, they think they'll they'll make less if there's if they have more expenses. But but if you're doing it right, um, you're spending money on your team but you are ultimately able to make more in the end of the day. I think it's a money thing, but I also think it's a control thing. A lot of people don't like to give up control because, I mean, realistically, you it, you can't expect somebody else to be as invested in your company as you are. That's an mm-hmm. unrealistic expectation. So in no sense could I say, I'm going to hire someone to do what I do, and they have to do it. They have to do it with so much emotion or vestedness. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm as me. That's mm-hmm. not fair to put on somebody else, right? Right. I could expect them to do it better than me. If I hire the right person, they're going to do what I do better than me, right? right? But not with the same enthusiasm. Kind of the way I've, I've looked at it over time is that, you know, at, at the beginning, if you're kind of a solo entrepreneur, you're doing everything yourself, then you kind of start offloading some of those tasks that are either not your favorite, maybe not the thing that you're the best at. 
something that takes up a lot of time, but, but is not productive. So you gradually start offloading some of these things to other people, and that allows you to kind of focus on the things that are more important that will drive your business forward. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of your first hires, um, in, in most cases, should be some sort of administrative type assistant. Do kind of the, the you know, for me, in, in my case especially, I don't like doing that kind of administrative stuff, like working with spreadsheets, working with, you know, just repetitive type tasks that uh, just take up a lot of my time. I feel like I'm not kind of using my my strengths um, mm-hmm. when I'm doing stuff like that. So it's something you dread doing. It's I got to sit down doing. and organize my day. I have to do all these kinds of things, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. not what you like, right? And it's easy to find people for those types of things, and you can you know hire someone domestically or even overseas and. You know, the business has changed. Um, you don't have to have an office. You don't have to, you know, with technology these days, you can have people working with you from all over, all around the world. So it's kind of an exciting time in that way with the communication and all the technology that we have. So business has changed. And if you're willing to get on board and build a company kind of the new way, I think you can have a lot of uh, efficiencies if you do it that way. Right. So. And if you hire the right person, they're again, they're going to do better than you. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I always think about when I'm, you know, we're all remote. We don't have any sort of like central office where we go to work, mm-hmm. uh, work at our whole team. Uh, and I think about anytime we're hiring someone or bring someone onto the team, I always think about like, hey, we've got this whole world of talent out there that we can source from. They're going to be remote. And we can bring them into our business and they can work towards moving it forward. Now, if I had an office right here in our town, I would have a very limited pool of people that I could draw from. It would only be people that would be willing to come to this office location. Yeah, only that local live here, here. Right. or people that would relocate, mm-hmm. which means that you might be missing the top talent because those people are want to be around family and those family live in wherever that is. Or whatever the other reason is where they want to be. When or, you think about it that way, like there's very, you're really, really limiting your pool of, of talent that mm-hmm. way. Right. And also, you you know, we live in a very high cost of living area. So some people would just say, even even if you gave them the, you know, the top compensation, they would say, yeah, but my dollars can go a lot further where I live here, where my support system is. And I think that employees um, or, or team members, I should say, are better where their support systems are, where they want to be, what right. makes them happy. Right. I, mean, look, I think, I think after, after COVID, a lot of people got used to working remotely as well. I mean, I know some people don't enjoy it, but but those that uh, that really started to, to enjoy working remotely, it's hard for them to actually go back to that same office atmosphere when they don't see the real benefit of it. No, many of them won't. That's there's right. the, the mass exodus or whatever. When people are saying you have to come back to the office, they're like, no, it's not worth it. Yeah. I've lived both ways and I don't want to be in my car for two hours a day. When you think about it, what a waste in, in many ways. Uh, right. For the environment. For I've been there. I've done that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't want to go back to that ever. No reason to. Technology exists where you, we don't have to these right. days. So right. I can live my life however I want. And the team members that we bring on to our team can do the same thing. Right. So when you're hiring people, don't or bring, I should say, just building your team in whatever way you're doing that. Um, don't limit yourself on geographical location. Yep, and exactly. also, you don't have to get bogged down by overhead for an office. That's right. Save some money. Save some money on that office. A couple things I'm going to kind of reference this so I don't forget to make any sort of points. So uh, starting with the administrative assistant, I think is a good way to go. You can you can even hire or bring on someone from overseas that are, a lot of people uh, overseas are very talented in those areas and used to doing that type of work. So that's a great fit for, for those types of roles. So as you grow, grow the other thing that, that becomes important is that the roles become more specialized. So for instance, 
I was very generalist at the beginning, starting, you know, sort of by myself. I did everything. I, I had my, you know, my job was to do all the different roles within the company. As we expanded, I sort of hired for more specialized roles. And maybe one team member was kind of covering three different sort of areas. Mm-hmm. And then as we get busier and busier, those roles get more and more defined. Well, we also so. see what they're best at. You know, we we heighten the load in that area and take away from what their talent, their innate talent is. Okay. <laughs> isn't. So it's just about understanding the people that you're working with and yourself. Yep. Also, as you grow, you'll probably want to hire someone to kind of manage the team for you, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe the ultimate goal is, and this may not be your goal, but maybe the ultimate goal for you is to actually get out of all the day-to-day of the business. And you are just the the, the business owner and the visionary and kind of setting the the direction for the company itself, and you're not kind of worrying about the day-to-day things. Right, maybe you're just focused on the growth. Mm -hmm. Let someone else do all the the day-to-day stuff, you know, all the business operating type Mm -hmm. things. So the team, that's Mm -hmm. one very important thing uh, that you need to consider when you are scaling your business. Right, and then you have the next thing is building a foundation. Yeah, so the foundation, that's this is one part I didn't really get at first. Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand this concept. So. First of all, the foundation that your business is built on generally, uh, in most cases, is a software foundation. So especially if you're running a remote company like this, like you need to have some sort of central database, some sort of central operating system where you've got everything, everything in your business runs through. And this is all your records for these properties. It's uh, communication with sellers. It's communications on the transactions, the marketing, all these types of things. It has to have some sort of software foundation. Now, I started out by just running my business on Google Sheets and uploading things into Google Drive and referencing things in my email inbox and all those types of things. Now, that <laughs> that will only get you so far. I look back on some, uh, like uh, we had a Google Sheet where we were kind of managing all our leads and stuff, and it got to the point where it was just nuts. It was a mess. It's it, a there's, mess. Just, there's just no way to do it like, effectively. Only thing- a limit to what Google Sheets can do right. because there's only so much columns. And even when I remember when I was trying to reference it, it was your mind. It was perfect, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure it out to save my life, you know? And it was like, and then it got overrun. And then how do you move things that when it goes from a different, from like pre-purchase to owning it, now it's an escrow and now it's been sold. And yeah. No it, way. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, we still do use Google Sheets for mm-hmm. some things that we track within our business. Uh, I'm not saying that, but you need to have a foundation or a software system that you're building your business upon. And not just a CRM either. The, the CRM is obviously just a portion where you're dealing with leads, you know, like leads coming in trying to convert them to an actual contract. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, a, a system that's broader that can actually handle all the processes within your business. It can be one central hub where all the team members that you're bringing on can can be logged in there and see all the information about those properties and everything that's going on. There's just no confusion or any sort of lapse in, in information. Right, you don't so. drop anything. I think that the reason that you were able to do be a solo person for as long as you were was because you start building your right. your system. Yeah, yeah. Because that was the only way that you were able to manage all those different roles without dropping the ball on a certain port, mm-hmm. part. Yeah, of we've, it. we've built our uh, platform on the, the high-level platform mm-hmm. and we've built a ton of customizations and everything for the land flipping business Specifically, uh, we've just actually launched that. Uh, it's called the Land Conquest Business System. So we've opened that up to other students. 
Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. If they are interested in kind of using that exact same system, all the automations and everything like that. And it's not just, the other thing about it is it's not just uh, software, it's also access to our tech team as well mm-hmm. to kind of build out any sort of automations or customizations that you want. So it's kind of a cool uh, product, I think, that, that we're offering there that it's, it's obviously very specific to the land flipping business and the way that we do it. But if you are doing what we're doing, it's very similar, uh, then I think you find it very, very important and it'll allow you to kind of scale your business. Right. And it'll grow like as we make changes, it'll get, you know, changes too as we perfect right. everything. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand because this is a question I see a lot. It's high level is kind of like the, what would you call that? Almost it's kind of like, like the operating system, like Windows on your computer right. or something like that. And then there's things built on top of that. Right. So, so in and of itself, it doesn't really operate much. It like, doesn't do anything. Yeah. You wouldn't be yeah. able to theoretically so this is where it's actually all it's specialized just for land flippers mm-hmm. yeah and we, i mean we've spent tens of thousands you know Heather's <laughs> like what is this for what are we paying this person for uh we spent tens of tens of thousands of dollars kind of building this system and everything and i know we'll be spending tens of thousands of dollars more as we go but it's really essential well it for saves us and it, a lot of money and it keeps things um so that you know you don't forget like did we get due diligence like it's all these little things that you don't think about where is this property in the thing where are the notes from it and the part that i like the most is that you can just move things around yeah you know there's and there's no coding yeah no you, no you don't have to worry about it no that, and so. if you it's very it's easy it's intuitive to use but also if you have any questions we do have tech support mm-hmm. that knows this platform and knows the things that we've done to it yeah well and the, and the tech team is available to help you customize it towards your mm-hmm. business because every business is going to be a little bit different. Right. So, and it could be, you know, it could operate for a solopreneur or it could be someone with a team member, 50 people. It's uh, it's flexible in that way. Right. It can grow with you. Yeah. Um, where, where do they find out about that? Oh, just go to software.landconquest.com. Okay. Easy enough. That's um, so that's, yeah, that's something I think that you if you can do it right from the beginning, I would do it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you, know, you can jump in and do right. it later, but it's just... Yeah, it's just going to be a transition. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about that. Um, go through the rest yeah, of Yeah, yeah. Well, next, systems and processes. So systems and processes. If, if your business, uh, if you are trying to grow your business, you need to systematize as many things as possible into, into you know, these processes. So meaning that... Every time you get a property in, you know, you, every time you get a property under contract, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. These two members do this. These are the things that happen. This is what we do next. It's all uh, uh, already pre-laid out. Mm-hmm. And if you are kind of doing ha- things haphazardly, mm-hmm. you're going to have a really tough time growing. You may not kind of figure out these systems until you really get into it, as, as you, until you really start sort of scaling up the amount of properties you buy or sell. But as you go, you need to sort of be documenting these processes, number one. So like writing them down or recording videos of how things are done or how you want them done. And then repeat the same types of things every single time. So your systems and processes will develop over time. And as you get more more and more specialized and figure out ways to do things better, uh, they will constantly be evolving. But but really, really important. I mean, we've got a lot of different processes that we uh, we've, we've built out. We've got our acquisition process. We've got our due diligence process. We've got our transaction acquisition process. We've got our marketing process. We've got our value add process. If we're going to be doing any sort of improvements to the property. And then we've got the transaction on the resale side of things, that whole process as well. 
and they each have uh, an extensive list of things that need to happen every single time. Right. But the important part is that you can touch a transaction. You can jump into it at any point because of your processes. You know exactly what you need to do next, what you haven't done. You don't have to kind of recenter yourself on each one and be like, okay, where am I? Yeah. Because you know exactly what you need exactly. to do. Exactly. And if a team member is out of the office, you know, on a vacation mm-hmm. or for whatever reason, then another team member can look at those processes and figure out exactly what they need to do to pick up that slack or if, if you're starting new team members and, you know, mm-hmm. you can. that's an important thing is taking notes mm-hmm. on each thing. After you talk, I know it's easy to jump onto the next phone call or, or whatever, but stop and write down. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, and that's one along, thing you can do in our system as well. Yeah. Like along like the whole thing, you should be doing that mm-hmm. um, because it's a lot easier to to know right in the moment, kind of just do a, a brain dump and, and go from there. And then you get into more leads and more contact okay. contracts. So this is like I contacts. said, for, <laughs> yeah, more leads, more contracts. Uh-huh. So it's really about more contracts. So I always, you know, at the beginning, I told you, I always thought it was just about sending more mail. Mm-hmm. So I would send more mail and I would get more deals. And that does work to a certain extent, but you become, there's bottlenecks when that happens. So you could send out, you know, you could just decide from the beginning, I'm just going to send out 100,000 letters per month, but you're not going to be able to handle it. You're not going to be able to handle it by yourself. You're going to need to build a team in order to handle that. You're going to need to build processes so things don't get Because mm-hmm. you crazy. will top out. That's the whole right. thing. It's like top out. Is that the right word? But like you max out, max yeah. out you know, yeah. there's no way, even if you, you, you just can't. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you don't want to have a whole team. Maybe you just use a business system and, you know, and you know that I can handle X amount of deals a month and that's just it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But you have to have all the other things in play or you're going to highly limit yourself. If you don't have all those other systems in place, if you don't have the software, you will limit it. There, there's just a ma- You learned that the hard way. There's a max to what you can do. Right. So assuming that you've got all those things mm-hmm. in place, you can send out more mail. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we generate a lot of our deals from direct mail, like sending out offer letters. So that's one thing you can do. You can send out more mail. You can get better lists. You can spend a lot more time on your list, improving your list, and send out the same amount of mail, but you could probably get a better return on those lists, get more leads, more deals from those lists if they're better lists. The other thing you could do is work on the conversion of your leads. So That's maybe true. you can get better processes in place, better you know training for your team members to actually do a better job of converting those leads into deals. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the number of leads, it's how you convert those leads into actual contracts. People, I think, skip over that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it didn't work out. A lot of people dismiss or discount things like, oh, I can't pay whatever. And so it's just not going to happen. And that's not the case. That's That's, not the case. No, not at all. It's kind of like you should try to maximize every single one. See if if it's a good property. See what deal you could put together. Yep. Yep. So obviously, as you are are, uh, expanding this business, you're going to be tracking all these different Mm -hmm. metrics and variables. And I, I should have a different category for that, like the tracking and the metrics, because that's really a huge thing. It's the information that you compile in order to make decisions, to make improvements. If you know that you're converting 5% of your leads and you want to get it up to 7% and you think you can convert 10% of your leads, obviously that'll get you a lot more deals. But but if you don't even know what that number is, how are you going to work on, on, on improving that? Or if you make changes, how are you going to know if those changes were any good or if they were in the ver- reverse and, and not any good? So you need to be tracking the numbers that are important to your business and then continually working towards improving them. Those numbers, tracking those numbers will help you identify bottlenecks where you can make some changes, hopefully to to make some improvements in your business. 
that's another thing and tracking, but uh, I didn't even include that category. So, uh, and then the other thing you can do uh, to get more leads is you could work on different avenues in order to get those leads. You could do cold calling, you could do cold texting, you can do, do TV ads. We had a whole episode about different ways to generate mm-hmm. leads in the land flipping business. So check that uh, one out. Check yeah. that one out. It was a few episodes ago. I don't remember which one, but it, we went into those, all those different ways mm-hmm. that we could think of uh, extensively. And then people forget, find something. If you see something that's working, tune that up or turn it up. Yeah, exactly. Like one of these things starts, you, you try one of uh-huh. these things and it starts getting a little bit of traction and you can improve it and turn it up and improve it and turn it up. And hopefully, and, and that's kind of in the phase that we're in right now, we're we're working on uh, some other lead generation areas and we're trying to see if they work. And if they do work, then we'll gradually start turning those up. Yep. Okay. And so then you go into cranking them up, Heather. Cranking. Well, that leads us into bigger deals. Think bigger. Stop wasting oh, yes. time on smaller deals. More difficult. Take more time and are more problematic. That is something that you are not taught in school. No. But no. The, the smaller the deal, the more the problems. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. It really is. Like you think that. Oh, these small deals will be easy. And we just had a recent question in the community about this. Like, oh, how do you, you know, how do you, uh, are, are the bigger deals, are they harder? Are these people, um, you know, tougher to deal with? Are they harder to put these together? And and really, our experience has been the exact opposite. The mm-hmm. bigger deals are easier to put together. It's easier. Uh, you're, you're dealing a lot of times with more professional people. You're also dealing with a better buyer a, at the end mm-hmm. that is a more know, qualified buyer. More qualified maybe. buyer. I'm not saying they're a better person, but I'm saying, <laughs> yes, a more uh-huh. qualified buyer that maybe has done real estate before and it's not, you know, they're not fighting every step of the way. If you look at it just really simplistically, it, it's the same effort for a small deal and theoretically a small deal versus a big deal. It's just the return on the big deal is way more. Mm -hmm. It bothers me when I see investors kind of spending a lot of time on buying a $500 desert square property and selling it for Mm $2,000. I mean, yes, that is a great return on their investment, but uh, this generally take a while to sell. Um, They have made an absolute amount of profit of, you know, maybe a thousand, twelve hundred bucks on something like that, but they're doing every step of the process themselves. Mm-hmm. And our average deal right now, uh, I think after this past um, month, after October, I think is at thirty one thousand dollars per deal. You had this to check. Year. You had to check what month we were in. Yeah, yeah, I, I did have to you, check. You were, you were like, uh. I can't even remember sometimes. <laughs> uh, so yes, so that uh, so it's about thirty thousand right. dollars per deal after at the end of October. So. How many of those, you know, thousand dollar profit deal? You'd have to do thirty of them. Think how hard that would be to right. do just one, or just do one deal that's larger. Right, and most of the people in those transactions, it's rare that they've done real estate before. It's it's just more cumbersome. Mm-hmm. It's harder. So I think that's good advice. If you need to do it to prove to yourself that you can do it, that's fine. Go for it. I understand but, that. But at some point, you need to kind of like break through and say, "I'm gonna, I'm ready to." I'm ready to put on my big boy or big girl pants. Something like that. I was going to say, I was like, I'm not doing it, but you went for it. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, let's move on to financial. Well, I should stop and say like, hey, Mm -hmm. I know that the biggest... Are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. 
the biggest thing about that is, you know, people will say, well, I don't have 50 or $100,000 to buy these properties mm-hmm. and then wait for them to close and everything like that. And doing the partner with Pete program is really the solution there. I mean, that's, we fund those deals. Like, as the investor, as long as you bring the deal and it's a deal and we agree to partner on that, we fund the deal. We do every other step of the process as well. And then when it sells, we split the profits 50 Okay, so but the Partner with Pete program is a funding. So if you bring a deal and it's actually a deal, you look at it, your team looks at it and they say, okay, yeah, we'll fund it. So pretty much what you're saying is that we provide all the funding. You don't have to put the money down on that. Yeah, no money. So you don't no, have, no nothing. If the, if the thing that's stopping you from moving from your $500 desert square is that I only have $500 to invest in the property, that shouldn't be something that you're, that's holding you back. Partnerwithpete.com. Partnerwithpete.com. Okay. You know, we had a recent Partner with Pete deal uh-huh. that closed where the investor made $280,000 on one deal. And, and they, they didn't put any money down. No, they didn't put any money down. See, so. I mean, that's like, I know, I'm like, what's, the, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's like, it's the viable option that everyone's been looking for. Mm-hmm. But they can go there and, and learn about it and see. Yep. So stop buying desert squares if it's just a money issue. Exactly. Let's okay. do some bigger deals. Okay. I want to talk about more financial sides of this. Mm, so we have the okay. partner partner on deals, the partner with Pete. Right. Um, you talk about private lenders. It's kind of what you're doing in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you can, you can um, if you don't take on a partner, you can also find people to privately fund your deals. Mm-hmm. Like they're essentially the bank for you. Right. So you might have a rich uncle that is looking for a better return on their money than sitting in the, that's you know sitting at the bank a rich so, aunt a rich aunt a rich aunt I, you know whatever it doesn't matter a rich you'll you know, take any family member's cousin. money yeah <laughs> it could be anything like that yeah. but but there's ways to structure it so you can bring in private lenders to actually put the money forward to to uh, do the deal and then you know but you generally have to show some sort of track record before they're going to trust you or maybe they just trust you because they know you and they they believe in you yeah and so. that's the thing with um we say like rich aunt rich, rich uncle whatever it's not it, you, you'd be surprised that people who do it privately are not necessarily people who oh they've got you know billions of dollars in the bank it's somebody you know mm-hmm. uh, normally a family member that has a, you know has some that that they want to make money on mm-hmm. yeah it could be a self-directed ira or 401k something like that right so well. you can get you can get creative so you can do partner with pete you could do a private lender meaning someone you know you could just borrow money maybe yeah. you yourself borrow from your home equity loan or yeah. or line of credit or whatever like you can get creative yeah obviously then, that's riskier you know, I, I yes. guess. So you're, uh-huh. and you know, when you're talking about private lenders too, you're, you've kind of got it all on the line too. You don't want to, you don't want your private lenders to lose money. So you really should know what you're doing before you kind of venture into this world for sure. Right. I mean, I, yes. And I'm normally the one that says these kinds yes. of things. So I'm like shocked that you're like pointing that out, but I would like, okay, and then we also have, you can have part, bring partners into your business. So you right. could go into business with somebody. Maybe you have this, you do this kind of stuff and they bring the money or you both bring some money or you get an outside funder and you both still work together to Mm -hmm. pay for mailing, whatever. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but absolutely, if you're going to borrow money in in any sense of the word, please, please make sure that it's actually a deal. Please make sure it's a deal. I mean, we, you also have a, um, a mentorship program where they can bring deals to you. Right. Right. So we have solutions. Like if you're still learning, that's the safest, I think, way to do it. Nothing's guaranteed. And in fact, with your partner with Pete programs, we take on that risk when we fund a deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no downside for the the investor. No. So like if it, if it turns out not to be a deal, knock on wood, we haven't had that. Um, can you knock please? Thank you. This This is is concrete, concrete, but we'll pretend we'll pretend. There we go. Your head's definitely not wood either, but that's okay. That's another benefit that a lot of people use the partner with Pete program is because 
you're saying it's a deal. I'm going to fund it. And heaven forbid that it's not. It's on you, not them. Yep. No risk. And it's also another set of eyes on the deal. So mm-hmm. so there's that. Uh, new ways to make deals work. Knowledge. Oh, I like that you said knowledge. Yeah. Please fill me in. Well, the more you know, the more the more powerful you will Wait, be as a land investor. What was that like when we're kids? Like the more you know or something? Yeah. yeah. Was that, was that was, yeah. The more you know. Like it's true, though. I mean, education and learnings about mm-hmm. this niche specifically, different ways to put deals together, mm-hmm. you know, lot splits. If you know how to do lot splits, um, you can take a deal that, you know, doesn't pencil out initially. But if you split it up, it does pencil out and it does right. work. So instead of just throwing that lead away, throwing that deal away, you could have something very profitable on the table. Where you've got five properties that you're going to be able to sell just from just from buying one. Right. And then you need to know things about access and all that kind of stuff. It's funny, though, because we we probably don't talk about that enough. If you said to yourself, I'm going to just throw myself into everything. I'm going to learn about septic tanks, land surveying. I'm going to learn about topography, Uh, you know, like all those different things, uses of land, what people are using it for, all this kind of stuff. You could really make unlimited amounts of money, especially now that there's solar panel farms, there's, um, you know, tax incentives for farming, there's actually just farming, like all these different things. It's like, if you really say, I'm going to, while I'm doing this, I'm going to spend my days and nights, which is for a lot of people, it's exciting. Like Mm -hmm. you enjoy that learning about a new, like say, I'm just going to throw myself into this, listen to a million podcasts on land. I don't know if there are land ones on on that, but probably farming ones or all these different things. Try to figure out all of our podcasts. Yeah. I mean, we do talk about a lot of that. (laughs) Try to go on social media and find people who are really into that. I bet there's engineers out there that have but those are really exciting. I'm <laughs> just kidding. For sure. Yeah. Ooh. You know what I mean? Like throw yourself into learning because the more you can learn about this. Knowledge is power. And a lot of it's free. Mm-hmm. I would buy books if we could if we could find some. We should put together some sort of library. It is harder to find this kind of stuff just because there's this not a very niche information. Yeah, yeah, but you said uh, lot splits, value add situations. Yeah, like brush clearing, anything like that. You know, any, any sort of... Um, uh, way that you can increase the value of these properties, you know, and just by learning different ways to, to make that happen, you can. We did a full podcast on that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Seller financing. Yeah. So you can put together deals that may not work as a cash type deal, mm-hmm. but but maybe approach the seller about holding the financing. So right. With land, that's not as hard to do as you might think. No, a so. lot of people are, if they decide they just want out of the, they'll do it. Right. And they get income off of their land, you know, while you're you know, doing what you're going to do. And then maybe it helps deal. them with their taxes if they weren't prepared to take that big lump mm-hmm. or whatever. They can plan better. Um, option contracts. Yep. It's just another way to kind of put together a deal creatively without putting any of the risk on yourself, aside from your time risk. Mm-hmm. Development. Yeah. Development that could take many forms. It could be a residential development. It could be a solar mm-hmm. renewable energy type development that you're talking about. Could be a zoo. It could be a zoo. You could be doing a zoning change. It could be all kinds of different <laughs> things. That <laughs> for sure you're going to be like what? And you're like I just you know go with it. Mm-hmm. I'll, yeah. I'll go with the Heather. I want to. I want to do. Actually, there are the wildlife pr- uh, preservation. They're trying to do that all across the um, the middle of the country. Yep. There's carbon credits. Carbon credits. So, uh-huh. There's yep. mitigation where you you use the land and wetland mitigation, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there's so many different things. Um, I like this one. Go ahead. Networking with other investors. Mm-hmm. We, yep. we network together all the time. That's right. And I actually ne- do joke. network. Well, we do. I know. But. We always compare notes on things. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm, I'm, you know, I network with, with as many land investors as I can, mm-hmm. especially people that are doing a lot of business. I really try to learn as much as I can from them. And I'm sure they try to learn as much as they can from me. It's kind of a two-way street. 
So it's a, it's very, very important, though, to kind of take your business to the next level mm -hmm. by seeing what others are doing, especially if you can find people that are a stage ahead of where you're at. Right. So have you found in this industry, there's not as much like, you know, like sometimes it's like, I'm not going to tell you because you're going to. Yeah. You know, the, like the, the scarcity of information. Yeah. Like they, yes, they try to hold that code close to the vest. Mm -hmm. You know, in general rule, I mean, I, I think in this business, most of the land investors that I've had the chance to uh, be in contact with, they're, they're pretty open about this mm -hmm. type of thing. You know, uh, they're not, you know, they're not generally sharing all the specific counties and all the areas that they're maybe prospecting mm -hmm. in. But aside from that, most of the information they're pretty, pretty open with. Right. So. I feel like they're, well, it's a huge country. Mm -hmm. it, it There's really is. so much land. It's, you know, maybe a certain zip code, you, you're protective of your zip code. That's fine because you're not an expert in that area. But the general information and, and they're welcoming of new people. I don't hear as much like, as I have in other industries, like, no, don't let them do that. I mean, when we were doing blogger training, that mm -hmm. was a big thing. People were, were upset because they're like, you're teaching them how to do that. Yeah, then yeah we're you're not teaching your competitors. And I get asked that mm -hmm. a lot because I've been on a bunch of different podcasts mm -hmm. and I've probably been asked that question 20 times. Like, why are you out there, you know, sharing this information? Aren't you just kind of trying to, aren't you teaching your competitors how to compete with, how to, or teaching people how to compete mm -hmm. with you and, and, you know, make it harder for you to buy properties and harder to do deals and everything. And I just simply do not have that scarcity mindset no, at all. No, like, I don't feel that at all. Mm -hmm. We never have. It's kind of like the more the merrier and the more people that are really skilled at doing it, the better the industry will be mm -hmm. and the more leads that will be created because of it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't feel that way at all. And maybe there are others that feel the exact opposite mm -hmm. of me and that's okay. Everyone can have their own opinion, but you're wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I knew was, you were going to say that. I did. You, I was listening to a podcast. Um, what is it? Peter Atticus, Atticus, Atticus just today. And they were talking about how, um, I can't remember who the person was, but it's his latest one and talking about a guy who wrote a book just simply about how you, if you're, if you are not open, even if you have very strong political opinions or, or views on certain things like that, if you shut yourself off, like if you think that there's absolutely no way that the other side can be right or wrong, then then you can't grow as a person. It's interesting, but it's it's kind of along that same thing about how we're we don't feel that way about being open to how other people can. And that's cool, too. Don't teach people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't right. I don't blame you if you have that opinion. That's fine. But you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Like, okay, ready for the questions? I'm ready. Question time. Fire away, Heather. Okay. Evan says, seller wants to keep 20 acres out of 98. How's, how would this work? I got a call back from a potential seller who has 98 acres, uh, forested parcel. Uh, she's interested in selling, but needs to survey and divide about 20 acres from the larger piece because her brother lives there. Has anyone gone through this process? Two calls to local surveyors indicate that they are booked through January. So we're clearly talking about a lengthy closing process and they couldn't estimate a price without knowing the details. And I don't have that yet. I believe I could write it up and offer contract that specifies that we would survey and divide the 20 acres from the larger piece and have that signed before ordering anything, right? But the cost of surveying with, uh, will affect how much I can pay for the land. I would need to subtract the cost of the survey from the final offer price. So I'm almost guaranteed to negotiate or renegotiate down, it seems. If the numbers pencil out, would a funder be likely to front the cost of the survey? Uh, yes. First of all, we've done this numerous times. Mm -hmm. And this is a great way to put a deal together because a lot of times someone's got this huge property 
they don't want to take care of this huge property or pay the taxes on it or, or maintain it or anything they like that. They want money. They would just rather have yeah. the money. They'd rather, they don't care about the, the back 80 acres of their property, whatever the case is. So yes, we have done this numerous times. And yeah, it's a little bit of a process to put the deal together, but you can get a good idea from most surveyors like, hey, just give me a range. You know, like you can even give them the parcel number. You can give them, you know, the information on that property and maybe sketch out on there just a rough sketch of like, hey, they want to cut off this front 20 acres. You know, what would your price, you know, what, what would the rough price on that be? So you, you can get that. But I would, you know, I would just, you know, I don't know what area it is or anything, but, you know, it's five to ten thousand dollars, maybe somewhere in that range to do something like that. I cut off the area. It's one you're familiar with. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, maybe five to 10 grand, something mm-hmm. like that. But so anyhow, you, you definitely can do that. So I would work on putting the deal together and just kind of estimating at the high end of that, thinking it's going to cost you maybe $10,000 let them know that let the seller know that you were going to be covering all the uh, survey costs for that. And then if you need to get it funded or something like that, bring that to partner with Pete and we do that stuff. Actually, we'll pay for the surveyor and everything, and we'll we'll coordinate that whole process and and get it done. But you need to have the property under contract first, and and go from there. A couple of things when we're looking at properties, we see this all the time, where it'll be a really weird like, okay, this has been cut off, and then mm-hmm. you'll see this whole other thing. It's exactly what happened. This is this is a lot of times how properties get onto the market or how, yeah. how progress is made. It's like a family will keep us apart a little bit around their house, sell off the rest, then houses are built up. You'll see that one older house and then you'll see a bunch of newer houses. Yeah. That's probably what happened. Yeah. Um, 100% you'd fund that right. if, oh, it, if it was a deal. Yeah, if the that's deal right makes up it. your alley. And the other thing that you could look at too is that like, okay, since you're having the surveyor out there, maybe you look at breaking mm-hmm. up this 80 acres or whatever it is that's left into eight, 10 acre properties and selling them off that way. Right. Or if you're setting that price or four twenties, if right. there's going to be a 20 there, cause now it's, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. I would look and see what the rules are, but try to maximize it. If you could do 10, it might even be an area where it's five acres. Yeah. Get, get excited about that. Okay. Dale says wholesalers for those that have been wholesaling land. What is your sweetest response when the buyer asks you why the name of the contract is not the same as the name on the property? Mm-hmm. Parts. I'm sorry, I got a sweetest. I was like, we, I was confused. On that. He said, like, what is your sweetest response? Like, oh. I think like oh, for oh. us, it'd be like, what's the best response? Oh, what do you normally okay. say? Yeah, I know. I was like, okay. sweetest. Okay. Okay. So do you have a great deal under contract? We'll submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, we will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. Uh, Dell is asking about like how do you how do you kind of communicate this information? Mm-hmm. I think you need to be upfront. If you're wholesaling a property, say you get it under contract with the seller, and you are looking to find uh, either an end buyer or another investor to kind of wholesale it to or something like that, I think you need to be upfront. And let them know about the situation. Hey, I have it under contract. It was 
you know, I could either close it myself or I could resell it, put it on and then put it on the market for a higher price. Or, you know, maybe I just sell it to you directly, you know, so you just kind of let them know what the story is like. You don't want them to, to hide the, the fact that there's an underlying that you're not like the original seller or something like that. You should just be upfront. Yeah. Just be honest. People are OK. They don't they don't care they as don't long care. as they're going to get their money. Also, it needs to be in the contract so that you could right. say I can close that. it right. under a different name. And third, why don't they just contact you and stop being a wholesaler? Yes. Uh, do partner with Pete. Then you don't have to worry about kind of that uh, that uh, tightrope that you have to walk there. Right. Yeah. It just then you'd probably get we'll a lot close more the money. Deal and we'll sell it for as much as we can and we'll split the profits. Yep. OK. Kashal says uh, talking to sellers, small versus large sales. Oh, this is what we're talking oh, about. OK. Yes. Pete, I'm using the talking to sellers script that you shared as part of the training program. Where's that again? Landconquest.com. OK. Um, except that my acquisition manager handles the qualification questions during the initial call and I call again later to negotiate or confirm the offer and close the deal. I'm wondering if there should be any difference in my approach in talking to a seller for a $30,000 property versus a $300,000 property. Does the latter demand more touches, I mean like calls, an earnest money deposit, a longer um, due diligence period, a more detailed purchase and sale contract, etc.? Yes, we touched upon this briefly earlier. I don't change a thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, the same purchase agreement, I don't offer earnest money. I don't do anything like that that's different. Those deals, these bigger deals, you'll find, I think, go much smoother in most cases. Maybe a little more savvy sellers. Yeah, yeah, Uh sometimes. I mean, it's possible they might come back and say, hey, would you do an earnings money deposit? (laughs) And in, in those cases, if it's a good deal, I would probably do it. But but I'm not going to, you know, offer that from the beginning. And you know what? The sellers, you'd be surprised that one selling the three hundred thousand versus the thirty thousand versus the three thousand. To them, it's it's their right. money. It's all relative. Yeah, yeah. it's it's this. It's just as important. Mm-hmm. So there, there's different levels. You know, maybe this three hundred thousand dollar property is just such a small drop in the bucket for you know, as opposed to what their net worth true. is. And maybe the seller with the three thousand dollar property, it's everything for mm-hmm. them. Like a, it's it's all their assets, you know. So you can understand from a mindset perspective how, you know, that could uh, that could you know make the deal more difficult. Right. So just uh, touch each one as an individual one and kind of feel out what the buyer needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the best thing. Okay. Edward says rezoning. Can anyone break down the process or refer me to how I can rezone a large acre land? Yeah, we don't have enough time. Mm-hmm. Well, it, first <laughs> of all, rezoning uh, can be a great value add type type thing, especially when you like annex onto. I like when you do that. Yeah, the annexation where mm-hmm. you can basically take a take a property that's beside a city mm-hmm. and then petition to the city to annex this property. And then you have access to all their utilities. And, you know, maybe it's a, you know, that uh, fact that you're in that city makes it more valuable, something like that. So the thing with changing the zoning is, you know, sometimes you could take something from say a standard agricultural type zoning and convert it to commercial or something like that. So obviously in a situation like that, you're probably really increasing the value of the land. But it's a process. Some mm-hmm. areas are more complicated than others. Some areas may be um, a multi-year process. I know in California, if you're going to try to do that in any of these kind of cities around here, you're in for the long haul. You're going to spend a lot of money. You're going to go to a lot of city council meetings. You're going to have to send letters to all the neighbors. You're going to have to put up with all kinds of you know, because most of the time there is going to be resistance to your idea. People don't like progress. They don't. Here. Yeah, they don't like progress. So uh, so you may be able to get it to go through easily. I did try, um, as a side note, I did try a rezoning uh, um, play on a small property that I bought. It was kind of near a golf course. and It was on a golf course, actually. And I was trying to change it from this 
golf course type zoning where you could put up a clubhouse or you could do a golf related business on it. But I was trying to change, get it changed to just a home site, which made more sense. But I didn't do it right. You know, I, I tried to mail it in like in more ways than one. I filled out the application. I mailed it in. They just kind of read it at their their meeting, their little, you know, association meeting. And they denied it because I should have had I should have paid someone probably that lived in that community or part mm-hmm. of the association to actually represent me and to, and to hopefully get the thing pushed through. Well, if we want to get into that one a little deeper too, there's a couple things. So they kind of said, yeah, it'd be no problem that you should be able to get it done. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. And we were naive and thought, okay. Right. And then when it didn't, when that didn't happen, someone on the city council, is that or, or on the, the association, on the association was the only one that wanted to buy it. Right. So the people that voted against it. Right, yeah. Bought it. It's weird how that works. So Heather told me I should have just declined them. But. Oh, I would have just held on to that forever. I mm-hmm. would have put up some, I would have found some sort of use for that that fit within the guidelines. Maybe a big sign that just said, you're mean, <laughs> you suck. But anyways, I mean, but at the end of the day, it's that saying focus on what's the goal and we didn't want anything to do with it. And it wasn't right. big dollars. It's a good story, you know, and it taught me a lesson. Yeah, they're scammers. <laughs> well, there are people that uh, you know maybe don't have the highest moral standards out there. But oh, that's, that's just that's weird. Okay. But maybe not. Maybe that. Maybe looking at it the other way. Maybe that they did see value in just doing that. Maybe they're going to build a clubhouse or something. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm off. Maybe I'm wrong. Doubtful. That's mm-hmm. cool. So, but it's all about that education and the time. And we should have. And we do that all the time when we we see things that we want to buy. We ask ourselves now. We stop. We say, Do we want to buy an investment or do we want to start another business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that was that. Purchase probably shouldn't happen because I mean, or not. I mean, you. Still I was rolling the money. dice. It you was cheap. Right. I, I still made money, and it just not as much as I thought. Right. So at the end of the day, it's really not a big deal, mm-hmm. and yeah. I'm not accusing that person of doing anything bad. Yes, but uh, so that was a that was a good set of questions. It was a good yeah. episode today. Thanks for getting my blood pressure up. Now I'm oh, all sorry, Heather. I got to I got to calm her down to go uh, fight or something. Yeah, just a kind of couple of quick reminders here. Uh, things that we didn't talk about already. If you haven't been checking out the income reports, go over to turningprofit.com. Uh, they have uh, on that site is all of our monthly income reports. They Go, don't. We do. Yes, it's we your do. Site. <laughs> I know. I, I I misspoke. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect like you, Heather. So uh, turningprofit.com every month do a income report on there. Been doing it for the last couple of years. What the revenue was, what the profit was that month. Each and every deal we did, break down everything about those. Uh, also, if you are listening to this, please check us out on YouTube. It's at Turning Profit. The at symbol and then turning profit. And you can find us on YouTube. Where can everyone find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok uh, at partner with Pete. That's my new handle. I like it. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. And if you're looking for funding or you just want to learn more about that, if you think that could work into your um, business model, turn uh, it's a. Um, Partnerwithpete.com. Okay. Partnerwithpete.com. And then um, landconquest.com is the community and learning. We've got a lot of different places we send people. Maybe I'll just come up with one thing. You need to have one and we give it and it's just done. Yeah. I'll work on that. Okay. He'll get right on that. But thanks for joining us and we will see you guys next week. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ready to start turning profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.